So please open your Bibles to Genesis 21. If you didn't bring your Bible or it's not on your phone, the notes are in the bulletin. It's important that you see this story today. Beginning with verse 22. And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham. God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore, swear to me by God, that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring, or with my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which you have dwelt. I will swear. Then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor had I heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And the two of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. Then Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs which you have set by themselves? You will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand, that they may be my witness that I have done this well. Therefore he called that place Beersheba, because the two of them swore an oath there. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose with Phicol, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. And Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. Today's story takes place in Genesis chapter 21. We've been following the journeys of Abraham through the promised land, the land that was promised to him. We often think of the promised land as land that was promised to the Israelite slaves who were delivered from Egyptian slavery and took them 40 years to make it to the promised land. But this land was promised centuries before to their forefather, Abraham. We have seen in past Sundays Abraham's faults, his weaknesses. Today we are going to see his strengths, and you are going to be proud to have Abraham as your spiritual father. In verse 22, it says, It came to pass at that time that Abimelech, or as a rabbi says, Abba, Abimelech, and Phicol, or Fachal, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham, saying, Now, Abimelech is a title like Pharaoh or king or, or emperor. It means father king or my father the king. And Fichal may be a title. It means mouth for all. It's like naming your kid Big Mouth. So it may be a title because he was the commander of the army. And no doubt his voice was heard throughout the land on behalf of Abimelech. And here's what they said. God is with you in all you do. Now, in the previous chapter, they had arrived in Philistine territory, and Abraham told the big lie that his, his wife was his sister, and Abimelech seized her for his harem, which is testimony to the miracle that had taken place in her body, she was 90-plus years old. 
And, of course, God visited him at night, told him he was a dead man unless he'd return Abraham's wife to him. And he said, also have him pray for you because he's a prophet. So obviously he had already had some physical things wrong with him as a result of him doing this. And, of course, he got a chance to rebuke Abraham for making him vulnerable to his death. How dare you do this to me? So he blessed Abraham with gifts, which he shouldn't have did that. Abraham's the one that did wrong, right? But we'll talk more about that later. And he allowed him to live in his territory, Philistine territory. And he's been watching him. He saw the birth of the miracle child. And so his response is, God is with you in all you do, verse 23. Now, therefore, swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me. I don't want you lying to me again. (laughs) I don't want to get in trouble with your God. You will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring, or with my posterity. So Abraham was incredibly blessed, and maybe there was a fear of them rising up and taking over the Philistine territory. This is what happened in Egypt. The Israelites were so incredibly blessed, Pharaoh decided to oppress them, lest, you know, they have problems later. And so um, he, you know, tries to head off the potential problems at the past. Let's make a covenant. So you won't deal falsely with me, with my offspring or my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, Season a man's wife isn't kind, but after the fact, the generosity he showed to Abraham and Sarah definitely was kind. According to the kindness I have done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which you have dwelt. Maybe you heard about what Abraham's God had done to the city-states of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he didn't want likewise. Abraham said, verse 24, I will swear. He gave his word. Then Abraham rebuked Abimelech. It was his turn. Because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor had I heard of it until today. You ever have somebody that's been holding on to a fence for a long time and then they come and let you have it? And it's just gotten really big. He said, why didn't you come to me earlier? You've been hurting all this time. Come to me earlier. But you've got to understand, Abraham was kind of in a vulnerable position in this foreign land. Uh, You know, the initial getting to know Abimelech was awkward. And so this was the prime time to bring it up. And Abimelech said, I do not know who's done this. Why didn't you tell me about it, basically? Verse 27, so Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. What? Abimelech's people are the one that did the wrong. What is Abraham doing giving him a gift? Proverbs says a gift in secret pacifies anger. If someone's upset at you, and you want to give them a gift, don't do it publicly because it looks like you're trying to buy them off, but bless them secretly. But in this case, Abraham's the one in the position of being angry. You know, when you dig a well and then people come and take it away, that's tough. 
especially in the desert. This is desert territory, the Negev. Who knows how deep this well was and how many days it took Abraham's men to dig it. So this was a very offensive situation, yet he gives Abimelech the gifts, and they make a covenant. Verse 28, Abraham's not done. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs, seven females, of the flock by themselves. Then Abimelech asked Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs which you have set by themselves? And he said, you will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand that they may be my witness that I have dug this well. So I'm blessing you with this gift. It's a gift that keeps on giving because these lambs are going to grow up and being you sheep, they're going to bear they're going to bear lambs for who knows how many years. How many years can a sheep bear lambs? So this is a gift that keeps on giving, and then, and then those lambs, many of them are going to be you lambs, and they're going to have babies. I mean, this has really blessed Abimelech. And so Abraham wants to drive the point home, this is my well. I'm, I dug it, but I'm blessing you with this incredible blessing so it, it won't be forgotten. Verse 30, and he said, you will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand that they may be my witness that I have dug this well. Therefore, he called that place, and if you've read the Bible very much, you've no doubt heard this name, Beersheba, because the two of them swore an oath there. Now, Be'er, beer, related to the word well. Sheba is related to two words, seven, seven ewe lambs, the well of the seven, uh, the well that was paid for with seven ewe lambs, a well that was uh, sevenfold blessing and more to Abimelech. Sheba is part of the word Shabbat, the seventh day. It also means an oath, the well of the oath. There was a covenant made at this place. And so Abraham named it a name that would remind him and everyone in that area of what happened that day, and it stuck. It's still there to this day. Verse 32, thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose with Phicol, the commander of his army, and they returned to the Philistines. Then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. That's related to the word grove. A tamarisk tree can get water when other trees can't get water. So it's an ideal tree to get water from. It also emits salt out at its extremities. So it's a source of salt, but it does a number on the ground around it where nothing else can grow except tamarisk trees. And so no doubt this was going to be a grove of tamarisk trees in Beersheba. And there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. There's another compound name of God. We've seen thus far in the story the revelation of the name El Shaddai, the God who is incredibly more than enough for us. And El Roy, the God who sees, the God who sees me. And here is Elonam, the everlasting God. 
And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, you'd speak to us in such a way that it changes our lives and our relationships. I pray, Lord, that reconciliation would fall in our lives like rain, Lord, as we get wet with the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Beersheba, where it is to this day. There's a city called Beersheba, we'll tell you about in a minute, um, that is four kilometers from this well. It's now a tourist attraction. It's a place that Isaac had to dig another well because the Philistines didn't stick to the covenant. That's another uh, thing. If you make a covenant, you want to make it with someone that's going to keep it. Amen? That's why it's important if you're going to enter into a marriage covenant that you not only know the person that you're going to marry, but you know the persons who know the person. Top 10 Beersheba facts other than this story is Isaac built an altar there and had to dig another well. And he, he uh, had another problem with Abimelech just like his dad did. Obviously, it was a new Abimelech. Jacob had a stairway to heaven dream after being in Beersheba. Number eight, it became a territory of the tribes of Simeon and Judah when they settled the land after slavery. The sons of Samuel were judges in Beersheba. King Saul built a fort there for the conflict with the Amalekites or Amalekites. The prophet Elijah took refuge in Beersheba. From Dan to Beersheba describes a whole kingdom. You'll see this in the scriptures more than once. And so it was from Dan to Beersheba. As we would say, from Maine to California, from Dan to Beersheba, describes the whole kingdom of Israel. During Babylonian captivity, it was abandoned till afterwards, and then they resettled there again when they came back from enslavement. A battle was fought there in Israel's 1948 war for independence. The Egyptians had set up camp there to attack Israel, and so Israel had to deal with them at Beersheba, and it was conquered once again. And today it is often referred to as the capital of the Negev Desert. That's not an official title. That's just a nickname for the city Beersheba. With a population now of 209,687 people, chess is a major sport. It is a smart city. It's been called the Silicon Valley of Israel. No doubt some things invented there have blessed us as U.S. citizens. So that's top 10 Beersheba facts. Here the city is at night. Beautiful place. I'd like to speak to you today on the subject, characteristics of a quality covenant. Can you say quality? If you're going to have a covenant, you want it to be quality. In the church realm and other places, the word covenant is thrown around in such a way it has lost its meaning. So I use the adjective quality to drive home the fact that a biblical covenant is supposed to be a quality covenant. Honoring God is the foundation for making a covenant. This is where Abimelech starts. God is with you in all you do. This is what's wrong with covenants that do not honor God. I believe that our 
country's founding papers started at this position, honoring God. And when America gets away from that, we're getting away into covenant-breaking culture. Not good. Because it all starts with him. He's the one that helps us keep our promises. Honesty is a stipulation for establishing a covenant. You don't want to make a covenant with someone who's dishonest. You want it to be based on truth. Now therefore swear to me, Abimelech said, that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring, or with my posterity. Now, the word of God promises that if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And even that phrase is getting cheapened in our culture, especially at this time. The context is John 8, 31, that begins with the words of Jesus. If you continue in my words, you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So the truth that sets us free is a truth that we know, and the truth that we know is related to the words of Jesus that we continue in. So it's not your truth versus my truth, but it's the truth connected to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. May God be true and every man a liar. So it's this kind of honesty that we want that's based on the words of God, the character of God. Kindness is the evidence for expressing a covenant. Covenant kindness is a scriptural expression that we want to have in our lives. He said, according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which you dwell. Abimelech wants the same kindness he believes he's extended to Abraham. That might be debatable in certain contexts, but he believes it, and, and he wants, you know, as I've done to you, do to me. So it's reciprocal kindness. May God make our marriages stronger as we will to be kind to one another. May God make our churches and our countries stronger as kindness reigns in the land. It's important. Without kindness, covenants will die. Agreement is a position for entering into a covenant. Abraham swore to agree to the covenant, this promise he was making to the man, Abimelech, and to his people. I will swear. Agreement. I agree. I'm giving my word to this. Remedying wrong is the key for strengthening a covenant. All right, if you're going to agree to something, what offense is in your heart, or what conflict is in the real world, not imagine, a real problem that we need to de deal with. Why? So that we can stay in agreement. Right? You know, we have the promise that we, we relate to when we pray, where two or three of you agree concerning anything that they ask. It will be done by my Father in heaven. What if you're praying in agreement for someone that you're not in agreement with over some other issue? So it's the atmosphere of agreement, unity, that God's blessings fall. How good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. So Abraham brings up the issue. He rebukes Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. 
And Abimelech said, I did not know. I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor had I heard of it until today. That may very well be true. You know, it's quite a territory to keep track of everything that's happening. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. So if they cut the pieces, if they shed blood, uh, Abraham's the one that provided the offering. Primitive cultures would shed blood to make a covenant. In so doing, they say, may it happen to me as has happened to these animals if I do not hold true to the promises made here today. Who's heard of blood brothers? To become blood brothers, uh, Mark Twain wrote about this in one of his stories I read as a kid. They pricked their fingers and touched their blood to blood, mingled their blood. We're now going to be blood brothers. It, where does that go, go to? Back to primitive cultures where an animal was sacrificed. And so they did it with sheep. That can be, that's plural. They didn't take a sheep. And oxen, that's at least two oxen. So at least four animals Abraham took and made a covenant with Abimelech. Jesus said this about our giving. You know, the Lord made a covenant for us on the cross, right? And we, he gave of himself, and so we give of our blessings to the Lord. But this is connected to our being in agreement. He said, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar. Don't give it yet. And go. First, make things right with your brother or sister. Then come back and offer your gift. We're not going to buy God's blessings. We're not going to buy God off when we are comfortable with living with discord in our life. So stop the giving and deal with it appropriately. Uh, there's a church in Peaster. Pastor John Anderson says this before the offering, at least he used to say it. He said, I'm going to give you reasons not to give today. If you can't give cheerfully, don't give today. If you're not a believer, please don't give today. We want you to receive God's free love. And if you have ought against someone, deal with that first and don't give today. In chapter 18 of the same book, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. We just saw in Matthew 5, if you realize your brother has something against you, this is someone who perceives that you have sinned against them. So that's dealt with in Matthew chapter 5, and then this deals with someone that sinned against you. So the monkey's on all our backs to deal with this. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Don't go to other people. Well, I can't believe. Can you believe she did that or he did this? That, that's not doing any good. That's sowing discord. That's disobedience to the word. So go and tell him the problem between you and him alone so it doesn't grow and get fester. And by all means, if someone comes to you with an offense they have in their heart towards someone, do not take it up because that person owes you no apology. So you're going to get stuck, kind of like mamas getting mad at each other for their kids hurting each other's feelings. The kids are out in the yard playing. It's all over. They're fine. They still won't speak to each other. Why? They've taken up their kids' offense. 
So don't take up each other's offenses and deal with the fault between you and the person alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. If he, obviously she is implied, will not hear, take with you one or two more. Sometimes a person won't hear because they're hurt too, or they just don't see it. So they just kind of shrug it off. Well, then you got to take another person or two persons with you, trustworthy people who have not taken up your offense. So it's not three people pouncing on them, right? People that can look you in the eye after they hear the whole story and say, no, you're the one in error here. Or no, now you understand. Sometimes you just got to have a come to Jesus meeting where you understand things. Why? So that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Why? Because reconciliation is important. Why? Because we have a covenant with God and we don't want anything fouling it up. Who wants to foul up your relationships with the Lord and his blessings? If he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Now, there is understanding here that I want to communicate about here for just the next minute. It doesn't mean stand up in the middle of a church service and point out the person that has wronged you. Three of us have approached this person and they've done wrong and we need to mark them, yada, yada, yada. In the early days of this church, another church in town closed and a bunch of them came and joined us. And they attempted to exercise church discipline on a couple of their members. And I got drugged into a meeting where uh, they were going to confront the wrongdoing couple. It was the biggest mess you ever saw. Because not one of them really had an issue on their own. But they each had a little piece of the pie, something they had heard, most of it was hearsay, and not one of them had gone to the person alone to deal with it. It was terrible. I learned a lot there. Never again will I allow that kind of thing to be done. It was abusive, and it was from misunderstanding the Scripture. So if you've tried to reconcile with someone and it didn't work, and you've taken one or two with you, and you try to reconcile and it didn't work, then go to the leaders of the church and they'll make the decision as to what to do from this day forward. Do it. People don't do this. And so some contractor in the church is ripping people off and nobody's confronting them. And so if you love your brothers, you will confront someone that's being hurtful, all right? And if he refuses to hear, let him be like a heathen and tax collector. That doesn't mean... Write them off and have nothing to do with them. Did Jesus love heathen and tax collectors? You just stop allowing them to be an influence in their life. Someone may need to step down from leadership because they're not responding to a loving confrontation. Romans 14, 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Every effort. Well, I tried and it didn't work. Did you make every effort? Did you go through all three steps? No, I went to a bunch of people. Well, that doesn't fix anything. Make every effort, Ephesians 4.3, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Hebrews 12.14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So this is connected to our holiness, making every effort to live in peace with everyone. 
Sometimes you may need to make a little room for Jesus, but not for the rest of your life, for the Lord can sort things out. Romans 12, 18, if possible, if it's possible, as far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with everyone. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Yes, amen. All right, moving on. Generosity is a lasting way for enjoying a covenant. If you have a covenant, you want to enjoy it. Sometimes you've got to open up your life and become a giver. So Abraham wanted to enjoy his well. So what does he do? He takes seven ewe lambs, puts them out of his flock by themselves, corrals them together. Abimelech asks, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs which you've set by themselves? And he said, you will, take these, you will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand that they may be my witness that I have dug this well. That messes with my American mind. If someone does you wrong, they're the one that should pay damages, right? Right? Abraham, in his covenant kindness, turns that on his ear and gives a gift that keeps on giving. Abimelech in the previous chapter had done the same thing. He had endangered, his life had been endangered by Abraham's sin, and the whole kingdom had been endangered. And yet he showers Abraham and Sarah with gifts. And here Abraham has been the one that's been wronged, and he showers his potential enemy with gifts. That's not paying damages, right? That's the operation of a covenant. Pastor, this is some strange doctrine. Read the story. Abraham doesn't want to go here again. He wants a reconciliation to stick, right? Ever reconcile with someone? It's not long until something else happens. He wants it to stick. And so he is the generous party. Is this not what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us? The human race sins, commits the greatest of sins, kills the Son of God, tortures him, robs him, shames him. And what does he do? He rises from the dead and extends to us a better covenant. We're not worthy. That's not damages. That is covenant kindness. Kindness is best expressed not towards those who've been kind, but to those who are not worthy. I know it's new. Please don't forget this. Chew on this. Think about this. And if there's people at odds with you, think about how you can bless them. Not to heap guilt on them. Obviously, he didn't just do this out of the blue. He did this in the context of reconciling differences. He expressed his love and commitment to Abimelech through this incredible gift. If you're a farmer, you would understand what a gift this is. It's not like just giving somebody some puppies. Right? These things will give wool, they'll give milk, milk can be made cheese, and they'll give other lambs. And if you're hungry, they can provide meat, but that's the ultimate sacrifice they're done producing them. 
Jesus said, give and it will be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. You know what the phrase is at the end of verse 37, right before that? Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will men give to your bosom. For give. Four is related to the word before. As I aforementioned, kindness is best expressed to those who are not worthy of it. It's best seen. So to give before someone is worthy is to do what Abraham did. The next generation didn't stick to the covenant. Isaac had to deal with it all again. But that wasn't the problem between these two men. As much as depends on you making make peace with all men. Memorializing is a path for remembering a covenant. Many times we will reconcile and then we'll forget about it and do the same stuff. Do something that will help you remember. We say remember. Therefore he called that place Beersheba, because the two of them swore an oath there. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. And the testimony of this covenant lasts to this day. Even though the Philistines became Israel's arch enemies, even though other enemies of Israel named the land Palestine, which is related to the word Philistine, just in another language transliterated, these two men made a covenant there, and the name stuck. We remember it. We learn lessons from it today. Then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. What is a tamarisk tree? Keep in mind the name for tamarisk also means grove. Tamarisk tree not only has fruit, it's an evergreen. It can be high maintenance and slow growing, but it can survive in tough situations. Abraham wanted to remember this covenant. He planted this tree. So its leaves have medicinal value. Its bark has medicinal value. Its fruit has nutritious value. Even its twigs are good for livestock to come and eat. So it's a good shade tree if you've got livestock can, that can eat the under foliage. It's good. But listen to this. This is somebody that sells product from the tamarisk. So you may want to put some salt with this. No pun intended. Remember? It says, tamarisk beneficial influences have been known since ancient times. Its fruit is rich in vitamins A and C, and it also abounds with phosphor, potassium, magnesium, calcium, iron, and sodium. It's rich within the beta-carotene family. Consumed externally or internally, products made from this tree, like fruit oil, is nice for treating gastric and duodenal ulcers, circulatory and hepatic diseases, diarrhea and rheumatism can be treated with this oil. It can be consumed with, by people struggling with alcoholism and help them. Stress, 
anemia, hypertension, and gingivitis. It possesses a notable influence against depression, Parkinson, tumors, mouth complications, flu, intoxications, and even leukemia. Products made from this tree are good for anti-inflammatory needs, antibiotics, astringent, and anti-cancer agents. It also has been used for treating liver disease. The oil made from this plant, there's oil from the fruit, oil from the plant, consumed uh, is good for your eyes, short-sightedness, hypermetropy, glaucoma, cataracts. And it's good for allergies and dermatitis, ulcers, eczema, acne, hemorrhoids, psoriasis, and sunburn. Somebody said, I want to get some of that. And I could go on. I mean, it's just amazing stuff. Uh, the fruits possess a sweet and sour taste, and they, they can be devoured more easily when coupled with honey. Mm. Used for making tea or for cookies. One teaspoon of tamarisk with a little bit of honey ahead of breakfast can work wonders for our system. So Abraham wanted to remember this, and he did something valuable. Most important of all, remember where we started honoring God? He honors God with the revelation of this new name. He planted the tamarisk tree, and there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. El Olam. You are the everlasting God, the everlasting Lord, the everlasting King. Why did he relate to God at that level? He wanted to keep this covenant. God is everlasting. And when he makes a promise, you can take it to the bank. Men, not so much. So the everlasting God in establishing the covenant for us through the life and ministry and being of the Lord Jesus Christ is all these things. He honored his Father and taught us to honor. When you pray, pray our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He's honest. His word is the truth. The foundation for knowing the truth, the truth that sets us free, relates to the honesty of Jesus. He spoke truth. He began many statements with the words, truly, truly, I say unto you. Kindness. He's a he's personification of kindness, is he not? Agreement. He gave us promises. He lived in agreement with his Father, even prior to the cross in wrestling with, if it be thy will, but not my will, thy will be done. He agreed to agree. Held to his promises to his Father. Remedying wrong was why he did the cross. Somebody asked me today on Facebook, shouldn't false prophets be stoned? I said, not in the better covenant. Jesus has taken that into himself and paid the remedy for being a false prophet. Our sins have been atoned for because he has paid the remedy. Talk about seven ewe lambs. He is the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Talk about generosity. He poured out his life and his soul. Into, the, into thy hands I commend my spirit. 
He gave it all when he could have called angels to come and set him free. He didn't do it. And a memorial? He established communion all over the world. Every Sunday, many churches partake of the Lord's table to do this in remembrance of me. This blood is the blood of the new covenant in my body. This blood was shed for you. And what is our response in this covenant? To offer thanks, to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his course with praise, to receive. And freely you have received, freely give. To go and do likewise. Who can you bless that you are trying to reconcile with that is not worthy? Lord, I pray that we would live in light of you being the everlasting God. And Lord, may we be agents of your peace and vessels for pouring out everlasting love through your grace that you've given us, Lord. Uh, Lord, I, I pray for those that are still burdened with guilt because of wrong that they've done. Lord, help them to see that you made a covenant for us on the cross so that we could be free. Thank you, Lord, for the new covenant. It's a quality covenant, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your life and your love and your gifts given to us. In Jesus' name, help us to go and do likewise. Amen.
couple Sundays ago, I told the story behind this song of a small Catholic church in a French village had their organ repaired, and they were looking forward to hearing it on Christmas Eve, and so they commissioned a local poet to write a poem to be read that night. He had to go to Paris on some business, and so on the way to Paris, he immersed himself in the Christmas story from the perspective of Luke's gospel and wrote this amazing poem. And while there, he crossed paths with a composer who put together the music. And it was introduced for the first time in that small parish on Christmas Eve. And the congregation fell in love with it. And it spread across France like wildfire. Then the church leaders discovered that the poet was a socialist and the composer was Jewish. And they banned the song. But too late, too late, the common man loved the song and it became embedded in their culture. A American abolitionist discovered the song, and he loved the verse about the slave is our brother. He translated it into English and made sure to get this across, because it was prophetic. The Lord was going to do this. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. So I want to end the service on that line. There are some people that are offensive because of the oppressions in their life. And they need someone to be kind and merciful to them. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy, right? Freely we have received, freely give. If the Lord loved us when we were unlovable, let's do the same. Amen? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And may you not forget the covenant kindness of God extended to you and I through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And may we be agents of expressing that to the world, starting at home and beyond the borders of our own family. In Jesus' name. Amen. Go get him, Tigers. God bless you. God bless you.